Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, the girlfriend, Cindy. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death, uh, where we talk about history of horror from two perspectives of someone who grew up watching them and loving them and the girl he loves who didn't. Uh, My name is Cindy. I'm Josh, and welcome to June. June of Let's Scare My Girlfriend a Month. Father's Day Month. Okay. Let's celebrate some horror dads with... Frankenstein. We didn't have any family can't. Oh, oh, we're not talking about mine. Sorry. <laughs> we don't have any family videos, so I didn't know we would be watching. Anywho, <laughs> little insight into my childhood and Father's Day growing up. That is depressing. Yay! So let's talk about something not depressing, and that is Frankenstein. Frankenstein? <laughs> okay. Now, I, I gotta warn you. I have seen a lot of Frankenstein movies, a lot, okay. and I read Frankenstein. Um, I did not teach Frankenstein, but I've prepared plans as though I was I'm going to teach it. Very glad that you've read Frankenstein because you can be the person to point out all the things they did different. So I'm not going to say wrong because this movie is so. So, so when did this version of Frankenstein come out? Are you sure I haven't seen it? Okay, this version of Frankenstein i.e. the Frankenstein we think of, right, was released November 21st, 1931. Oh, I have not seen this one. This is the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. I have not seen this one. Are they, now, are these silent movies? No. Okay. Nope, they're sound. They are in black and white, though, so... Well, then I'm out. Watch or beware. <laughs> if that's a thing, you're like, what? I mean, I never understood people that were like, I can't watch... Black and white movies. What are you, a fucking child? I don't know people. I don't understand people who can't watch any movie for um, an inane reason like that. You know, like, oh, it's subtitles. I can't do it. Oh, it's in black and white. I can't do it. Like, really? Now, That's I, weird. I understand subtitles if you are in an altered state. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, I, there have been times where I've like, I don't have the capacity <laughs> to, read. to watch this image and read as well. Yeah. And that's that's not a, you know, a slight against um, subtitles. That's just me being fucked up. Hey, uh, <laughs> for our listeners out there who are parents of young children, you want your kids to read better and or faster and or just learn to read, just turn on the subtitles. Mm. Don't even change what they're watching. Make them or make them watch Godzilla movies. Yeah, that'll do it too. In the original Japanese. No, because uh, they're getting culture. They're getting mm-hmm. culture and they're really getting an environmental message. So a lot of the Godzilla there's so much there's so many layers the environment and they're learning like to read real fast. I feel like you in addition to your many like Kurt Russell side podcasts that we need to have some sort of Godzilla one coming up next. I maybe you and the eleven year old. I know the perfect person that's not eleven years old to host <laughs> a Godzilla podcast with me. Okay, it's my friend Charlie. He would love it. Charlie Rose. I didn't know you guys were yes. friends. Fuck Charlie Rose, but he's like a monster, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he is. Caught being gross and creepy. Speaking of monsters <laughs> and touching little girls, Frankenstein. <laughs> not, no, no. He, he doesn't drown a girl in this one. Maybe, but. <laughs> Not, not in a molesty way. No, I didn't say that. Uh, I just well, said touching girls. Let's talk about 1931 for a second. Because um, before we get into 1931, I think it's important to tell people, if you don't know, listener, if you 
don't have uh, a firm grasp of early 20th century history, these movies, in America, all of them came out during the Great Depression, mm-hmm. which is kind of why they were as big a deal as they were, because they were like escapism for a lot of people. This is when Shirley Temple becomes queen. Yeah. Escapism. The movie's perfect really, little world. Really yes. took off in the 30s. Yep. During the Depression. Right. Because it was one of the few things people could still afford to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Agreed. So a lot of the bigger, you know, like, and this is still places kind of went out, and it became movies. And it this is still when, and it's something for modern audiences to realize is that this is long before the era of like movie times. You could just go to a movie theater whenever you wanted at any time and buy an admission. People went, and then they started watching the movie, and they basically finished it and then started again. Stayed until they saw the beginning up to where they. Came in. Yeah. Actually, was a thing until Hitchcock in Psycho. That's right. Because Hitchcock would not let anyone admit, it. like, told theaters not to let anyone in after the movie started. A, he didn't want to give away like what the twist was. Growing up, uh, not poor, but poor in New Jersey, there was a dollar fifty cinema, and we would kind of do. I, well, I guess it's not the same thing, but for a dollar fifty, you got like a general admission ticket. And there's a $3 endless bucket of popcorn. And when our air conditioning went out one summer, you bet your ass we, we saw every uh, movie we could find at that $1.50 movie theater. Um, it's a great way to pass the time and stay cool. I can give you the, when life sucks. the Appalachian hillbilly version of that. What's which that? is, I remember being a kid and sneaking food and usually one of us would have to hide as we went into the drive-in uh i've never been to a drive-in but i know of those stories we went to like we would go to mountsville wine not wine like one of us and pizza yeah but i'm also there was probably some beer and wine involved for your parents yeah definitely not wine my parents have never and my mom's actually not not a drinker my dad was a beer guy right Mm -hmm. he loved just beer and then on Christmas Eve, I don't know why we went down this rabbit hole, but on Christmas Eve, um, he would drink, uh, I forget what they're called, like red eyes? Yeah. And basically, it's just a beer mixed with like Clemetto juice Ew. and like tomato juice. Yeah. The Clemetto juices. Yeah. They yeah. call them like chiladas or whatever is what I they sell know. them pre-made as. Clemetto juice. Clemetto juice is... Um... It's tomato juice and clam juice together. Yeah, that's what my so dad would mix with his delicious. beer. delicious. But only on Christmas Eve. Probably because he had to stay up fucking late at night to put yeah. shit together no. for his three sons. False. That he never had happened. to stay up late at night watching my mom wrap presents. He, they never, like, put things together for you? Like, you didn't wake up and there was already something built? Not really. I mean, maybe the year we got a bike, but by and large, it would just be shit in boxes. Oh. Like, here's your fucking... Thundercats tank. Okay. You pull it out of the box and play with it. Like, it was what it was. Okay. So, but, um, so these movies came out, um, during the Depression. And this actually came out, it's the second of the big universal cycle. What was the first one? Dracula came out a few months earlier. Makes sense. So, that's a thing. But just so you know, uh, as we talk about this movie, especially on the back half and kind of the cultural impact it had, mm-hmm. it came out at a time when people were dirt fucking poor <laughs> and the yeah. economy had fallen apart. That's why I brought so, up our broken yeah, air conditioner in the 80s. It's important to remember that. Okay. Um, but in 1931, 
Stalin debuted his five-year industrialization plan for the Soviet <laughs> Union. And how did that work, guys? Uh, pretty well for them. <laughs> Dracula premiered. The Star-Spangled Banner became the national anthem. I didn't even know it took that long. Interesting. There you go. Uh, officially the national anthem. Yeah. The Empire State Building was finished. Cool. Al Capone was sentenced to 11 years in prison for tax evasion. Uh, if you want to see how that went down, kind of. There's a really good Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro. There's also the a really good episode of Drunk History that explains how bad the syphilis that man had was. Mm-hmm. People that were born that year. 31. That is uh, 10 years younger than my grandmother. My grandmother was born in 21. Okay, are you ready for this? So what have we got? Angela Robert Duvall. Oh, okay. James Earl Jones. Okay. James Dean. Oh. I li- Surprisingly, oh. I didn't realize he was two okay, of those people are still with us. <laughs> uh, people that died that year. Who we got? Uh, F.W. Murnau. R.I.P. He Who is, is a German filmmaker okay. who made a movie called Sunrise, which is arguably one of the best silent films ever. And he also did Nosferatu, which is what he's most better known for. The unofficial Dracula movie. All right. Um, he made it without the rights and he got sued and it was a whole thing. Yeah. And Thomas Edison. Okay. Thomas Edison. We're not going to talk about it, Cindy. Cindy, we're not going to talk about it. Cindy, Cindy, we're not going to talk about it. Please just everyone remember that Thomas Alva Edison was not an inventor. He was a patenter. Other people invented the things and then they would sell them to him because they had no money and then he would patent them and get the credit. Okay, I'm done. Fair. Just He's just like every person from New Jersey. Watch it. Always taking credit for other people's shit. Oh, yeah. What have I taken credit for for of yours lately? My, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I just wanted to dump on Jersey because it's a shithole. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, we're used to it. I mean, let's, I live in West Virginia. I was going to say, let's continue living I'm in West looking, Virginia. I'm, I'm literally throwing rocks up at everyone except for Mississippi. Yeah. You hear that, Mississippi? You're below me. We're coming for you. Although I hear, actually, I don't hear. I've been through your state. It's actually quite lovely. You should throw off the shackles of your... uh, White oppressors? Your republicanism. Hmm. And uh, take your state over and make it super cool. They sure would if they were allowed to vote. Speaking of super cool, let's talk about who (laughs) made this movie. Because he's both very interesting and cool and it's very sad. Oh no. All right. Is this another Val Luden? Not quite. That so was a sad Valoon. story. I will talk about Valoon today, and I will smile as I do it because I love Valoon. And because if you're interested in Valoon or anything we have to say about him, we did an enti- we dedicated an entire month to him in yep. season one, which is available now on iTunes it and wherever you get your podcasts. November, I think the November month. Let's talk about James Whale. Please. So James Whale directed this movie. Mm-hmm. He directed Bride of Frankenstein. He directed The Old Dark House. He directed The Invisible Man. Spoiler alert, The Invisible Man is a really good, like... Never seen it. A universal horror movie. It is often like, forgotten. Going back and re-watching them all in the mm-hmm. past couple of years, it's actually the one I'm like, I, I got the most uh, reappraisal of. I was like, damn, this movie's like creepy and good. And, Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought the that. The Invisible Man is actually like pretty fucking solid. But James, James Whale... Whale was one of the very few out gay celebrities in Hollywood. Oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, and he lived with his partner, David Lewis, for a substantial amount of time. All right. Now, 
I believe they broke up, and but they'd stayed in touch. They were friendly. As James Whale got older, and as times began a changing, and he could not really find work, oh. and his body started, you know, not doing oh. the things they're supposed to do as you get older, he drowned himself in his swimming pool, and left a note for David Lewis, who David Lewis hid it, and because he didn't want James Whale, like the guy who created, who directed Frankenstein, yeah, they did, he didn't want his last thing to be killed himself like so. he didn't want it, that to be the last thing james well left so he hid james well's note and it was ruled an accident he just accidentally joined a swimming pool and it wasn't until i think the 70s when david wow. Lewis died that it that came out they found the note and it came out that like james well had killed himself oh and wow. it was a whole thing Oh, wow. That's yeah. okay. This is How, a real downer episode, guys. We're just going to put a disclaimer at the front. There is a movie about all this. What's it called? James Whale making Dracula and growing old and his death. And it's called Gods and Monsters. And James Whale is played by Ian McKellen. Oh, that sounds fabulous. And the, the not David Lewis character, but the younger kind of pool boy that he has a thing with mm-hmm. is Brendan Fraser. Really? Like a young friend when did this come out? Like the nineties, I believe. I've never heard of it. It's it wasn't big. I mean, what it was, was it a called? Gay biopic. I mean, obviously, yeah. Gods and Monsters. Gods and Monsters. Oh. Yeah, I toyed with watching it, but it's not really horror. It's yeah, so really it wouldn't hard have, to justify. We may just watch it just for us. But yeah, just as a side thing. But it's, I mean, it's fun. Okay. Ian McKellen, you know, gets who doesn't like Ian McKellen? Well. It's a good time. So this movie was directed by him. R.I.P. Rip. And it's written, actually, I think every one of this movie is dead. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would uh, think so. It's written by James L. Balderston, who was one of the writers on Dracula. He wrote The Mummy, he wrote Bride of Frankenstein, and he wrote Gaslight for George Cukor. There you oh, go. Wow. Yep. Quite the resume. He had a nice little career. It's obviously based on the novel by Mary Shelley. I don't know if you Correct. want to throw in some Mary Shelley information. Mary Shelley is the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft, considered to be Europe's first feminist and she wrote the feminist manifesto and we're talking a long time ago anyway uh her daughter mary wollstonecraft ran away with the then married percy bith shelley and uh they ended up getting married but she was rather young they had to wait until his wife died correct and uh they waited at that time and was it corsica anywho uh during one very uh wet and cold summer they and their friend robert lord or lord byron uh george byron or whatever the hell his name is and byron's friend and we'll put that in quotes came or went around the fire and they did a movie uh, what we would call a movie night and they each told stories and byron's friend who is a doctor whose name escapes me right now had an interesting story and then they're with two of the pretty much what it would be like if they were hanging out with like new kids on the block. I mean, you didn't get any more famous than Byron and Shelley at their height. They were just so, so good at what they did and so famous. And so they told these stories. And then this quiet girl who had just married Percy starts telling a story about a man who tries to overcome death. And he, she told it in one go. And that is what became Frankenstein. There you go. Needless to say, she not only won the night's contest, but uh, she went on to be published, and it, it it became what it is. It's the only thing she ever wrote. She was 19 when she wrote Frankenstein. She was young. She was a very small woman, too. I uh, I find it interesting that you 
when you go to the height of fame, you go to New Kids on the Block. Well, honestly, I sat here for a minute, and like you can hear the pause. Don't don't edit it out. You can hear my pause as I try to think. And you know what came to my head was like, Hanson is Hanson famous? You know, you know what I think of when I think of like like someone asked me what the pinnacle of like screaming fandom is. Mm-hmm. It's like when you see those videos from the sixties of the Beatles. Yes, and people were like. Women would just, they would say their names and they would just scream. It's just, like, it's what about it, John? They'd be like, ah, like it, it's insane. It's like, insanity. And it's one of those things that only a very select number of individuals really understand. Uh, yeah. And one of them is uh, Byron. Byron was the end all be all. I mean, I'm an old woman in the 21st century, and I still have quite a bit of Byron memorized because he was so dreamy and romantic. <laughs> I'm more. <laughs> he of was a also person. He was also handicapped. Did you know that? He had a club foot. Anyway, go ahead. Fair. Still uh, fucking hot. So that's Mary Shelley. <laughs> and how I feel about Byron. <laughs> yeah. How about who's in the movie? Okay. How about Colin Clive? Okay. He plays Henry Frankenstein. If you've read the book, you know that it's actually Victor Frankenstein. It was changed because Hollywood felt the name Victor, was too which was my grandfather's name. Too was, German. No, because this was pre-World War II, so they didn't have a problem with it the was German. Just... They just felt like it wasn't very welcoming, yeah. and they kind of wanted you to feel for him. Well, like, eh, with the name Victor, he's going to be an unfeeling asshole. And he was. So... Mm. He went on to be in Bride of Frankenstein, and he is actually the direct descendant of Baron Robert Clive, the founder of the British India Empire. He died at the age of 37. So what we're hearing is that he came from money. Yeah. He died at the age of 37 due to tuberculosis, pneumonia, and alcoholism. There it is. (laughs) If you were a uh, white man of that time and died in your 30s, it was from excess. Continue. So there they you called go. them the Roaring Twenties for a reason, guys. Yeah, yeah. This movie also stars Mae Clark. I'm going by Billing because I'm sure people are like, and? Yeah. But Mae Clark, she plays Elizabeth. She was the daughter of an organist in a motion picture house in Atlantic City. Hey. And you know, she was dancing in nightclubs at the age of 13. Just like every good New Jersey girl yeah. does. Uh, she was in the movie Waterloo Bridge. And she was in The King of the Rocket Men. But outside of Frankenstein, she's probably best known as James Cagney's girlfriend and public enemy from 1931. Same year as this. When he jams a cut open grapefruit into her face to, to get her to shut up. Lovely. That is like the most remembered part of that movie. Nice. And she's like, I. She gets a grapefruit shoved in her something. mouth. And he's like, shut up, and just jams a open grapefruit into her face. And Lovely. Other than this movie, that's what she's known for. What a legacy! I can't wait to see that on a tombstone. Yeah. Soon. Speaking of legacy, Boris Karloff. There it is. One of the OG. You know icons him from being Frankenstein and Dracula. You know him as being. One of the gentlest, kindest, most wonderful human beings from this era of movie making, who was a real mensch. Um, but more on that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> if is. If you've seen Ed Wood, you know what we're talking about. He, well. <laughs> I just hear Martin Landau doing. Um, I just doing gave you a little look. <laughs> Bella Lugosi being like calling Carl up a cocksucker. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, 
Karloff was a gentle giant and an incredibly nice guy. He did a lot of universal horror movies, right? He was Frankenstein and yes. he went on to play other you know, various parts. He actually left Universal. Some say because Universal was like kind of over him. Thought he was over the hill. Other people were like, eh, he Maybe actually was just... was just kind of over the parts Universal was offering. But he ended up going to RKO because he wanted to work with Val Luton because he loved the atmospheric horror films that Val Luton was doing. So in the 30s, you've got this run of universal horror films, right? Okay. Wolfman, Dracula. Oh, well, the Wolfman's 41. But um, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Invisible Man. And then after the Depression kind of ends and we go into World War One or World War Two, you see a move into more noir horror, right. which is what we Kyle talked Luton about in November. A fucking boss about. Mm-hmm. But before that, he was um, and like cat people and whatnot. And apparently, Karloff loved these movies because he loved the mystery and how they were scary without being like they were eerie. And then a man in a monster suit walks out. They were spooky. So he wanted to go work with Luton. And um, in the interim, like, between his run at Universal, he actually had gone to New York and starred on Broadway and actually had really gotten his chops as an actor doing that. Because mm-hmm. Karloff wasn't super sure of himself as an actor, some would say. Okay. Like, he knew he, he was, he knew he was monsters, a... Right, not himself. But or like, not... to go on stage and, gotcha. like, do a whole play and, like, it really helped he build his... He couldn't carry it as a as Yeah, a it really human. helped build him as an actor. And he, you know... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but when he went to RKO to work with Val Luton, he actually shielded Val Luton from Luton's higher-ups and made sure that Val Luton's movies were untouched by uh, corporate interests. Okay. I'd say. Editing and whatnot. Used his powers for good. And out of that, we got... The Body Snatcher, Isle of the Dead, and Bedlam. And for that reason, I am eternally grateful to Boris Karloff, who worked for a well, long time after this. Up even though it was a cop Up sucker. until like the 70s. Yeah. It's so <laughs> weird because they're so... Yeah. I love them for different reasons, but I love them almost equally. Like, I would say I clearly prefer Karloff to Lugosi. And it's not a slight against Lugosi. Let's not forget that it's Lugosi just personal preference, was guys. murdering fascists. And uh, organizing communists in the 20s. And for that, I love him dearly. <laughs> <laughs> but I just... Karloff has a bigger impact on me, and I love him. So That's all right. That, I won't hold go. it against you. Uh, the last person I kind of want to mention is Dwight Fry, who plays Fritz. Fritz. Yeah. Um, he ended up playing a different character named Carl in Bride of Frankenstein. And he was Renfield in Lugosi's Dracula. It is so important for me to mention... And I think when people think of Dracula, or not Dracula, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. they think of Igor. Igor did not come along to like three movies. Thank later. you. It's not, he's not in the book yeah, at all. He's not in this movie at all. And I think he came as a direct result of almost in the Dracula movies, like with Renfield, it's almost mm-hmm. like a foil character. Yeah. And so the idea of Dr. Frankenstein, <laughs> shout out, uh, creating human life, you know, and then having like this deformed kind of a man that he just kind of bosses around rather than trying to help him kind of a thing for dramatic effect. But that's not in any of the original stories and movies. I think we just so associate the character of Igor Mm -hmm. with Frankenstein and that is not the case. I don't think 
the character of Igor actually shows up until I oh god I'm gonna fuck this up but I think it's House of Frankenstein mm-hmm. which is like three or Son of Frank Son of Frankenstein look you can handle so, people who get pissed and I at you, think the first time that we see Igor it's played by Lugosi I don't so there you go weirdly full circle full circle I was just curious where we could find is this just on Amazon I have or like is it maybe a Turner classic I have a DVD I'm sure it's streaming all over the place these movies are not super hard to find you probably already own this somewhere I definitely do not here's some pre-trivia for you before Mm -hmm. we sail off into Frankenstein so the monster makeup was designed and applied by Jack Pierce and it is actually under universal copyright until 2026. So they How'd could they not pull that out? They copy, got a hundred over They could not copyright the book like forever. Correct. But they could the design of Frankenstein because it is not the same design from the book. So in the book she never really you know what we think of like as Herman Munster. There's none of that. We it's just it's almost like the De Niro Frankenstein where it's like pieces and patches of people that's what i always kind of pictured and thought um of. every basic i'll say every but when you think of frankenstein whatever your frankenstein is like for me i'd love this frankenstein but my go-to frankenstein is actually from monster squad yeah i really wish that george romero had taken a lesson from that and if he, can you imagine if there were if romero and his estate had copyrighted the look of a zombie think about it for a minute like the idea of like living dead, like the zombie walk. If they had copy, if he had copyrighted that, well, that was the he, first time anything. And we talk about that in our. I just wish his estate would have got the money for Night of the Living Dead. Well, yeah, but, but what I'm saying, what I mean is like we talk about it in November in season one. We're talking about Val Luton. Zombies were. It, it was like that Haitian voodoo yeah. thing, right? And it wasn't until George Romero that they were these people that came back from the dead or had some sort of virus or whatever. And the, I mean, Thriller wouldn't have been made, like all that, or else they would have had to give money to the Romero estate. Yeah, as important as Romero and Night of the Living Dead is to zombie lore and establishing what zombies look like and what they do. They get no credit. This is that movie for Frankenstein. For Frankenstein. So... Every subsequent Frankenstein with the ones that intentionally... Actually, even they owe a debt because you either have... Every Frankenstein either falls into this mold mm-hmm. or they fall into the mold of trying to get as far away from it as possible. But by and large, this sets the tone of Frankenstein that we still see today. Like, even Frankenberry. I was just thinking. Everything, I was just going like, is this why we don't get Frankenberry Everything comes from... Jack Pierce in this makeup. Fascinating The look thing. of Dracula. Dracula, God. The look of Frankenstein, <laughs> Frankenstein comes yeah. from this movie. and Which is why they were able to copyright it. They did do a 20 minute test reel of Bela Lugosi as Frankenstein. And it was shot on the Dracula sets. Mm-hmm. But it's just been lost. Oh. So they originally thought like, let's just have... Because Lugosi became a star with Dracula. So they are like, mm, let's just have a play Frankenstein. And it didn't. It didn't work. Apparently, he just you know it's Karloff was thing. Karloff. Yeah. So I will say that Karloff was considered a throwaway monster actor, and he wasn't even invited to the film's premiere. Wow. So, but that's there's two different stories to that. One is the studio was like, 
We don't need you. You know, you're just a monster, whatever. Mm -hmm. We don't need you. And the other one was that he actually missed the premiere because the costume weighed a ton and having to move in it and be in it all the time. That's what gave the zombie. It broke his back. Oh, shit. So he was convalescing after the making of the movie and could not attend. And the studio did not want the news to get out that he would have been hurt. So... Oh, could be either. Could be both. Yeah, but that it is what it is. And lastly, it's important to remember that Karloff was 44. Yes. When he made this. Not a young man. Right? Like, he's not 25. <laughs> yes. He's not 25. Um, he's an old dead monster. Yeah. Well, monsters to be debated, but um, we'll talk about that on the back. We're ready. You're excited. I really like this movie. It's... Okay. It falls into the Cindy sweet spot. It is 70 minutes long. Yes! It is rated as... Guys, that's my favorite. What? Past. Oh, so it's before. This is when they just had the the pass. Like, you just had to meet the criteria to be in theaters. Yeah. Which was no nudity, nothing like that. Ace code. Ace code. All right. So, I don't think we need to kind of get into what this movie is about. We all know... Uh, the this is usually the part of the podcast where Josh shows me an original pr- print and or a poster of the movie. I try to discern meaning. This is a classic, the original horror show Frankenstein, the man who made a monster, the face, the bright colors. Yeah, this is great. It's funny that the poster has bright colors because the movie, the movie does. Will not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. Okay, well then we're off to watch this. Uh, stick around and uh, after the trailer. We'll find out. I doubt I will be scared to death this time, but I, who knows? Something might happen. Anyway, join us, won't you? Mind the doors. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. (laughs) To shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Welcome back from watching Frankenstein. I have a lot to say about it. I have a lot to say about this movie. Okay, let's let's do it to it. Um, before we get into mm-hmm. thoughts, would you 
quickly give us a synopsis of James Whale's 1931 Frankenstein? Oh, a synopsis? Not a synopsis of why I'm mad? Okay. A synopsis of the movie. A student doctor decides that he wants to create man from his own kind of idea rather than reanimating a once alive person and he creates a monster and he doesn't know what to do with it so he ignores it and it ends up getting out and killing everyone the end okay (laughs) that's my that's my movie i mean it's frankenstein everybody knows the story of frankenstein i think that it's really interesting that we pick this or that you pick this for bad dads because there is an element in here where we meet doctor like the the student doctor dr frankenstein we meet his father and kind of his relationship between him and his dad so I, that was an element i was wasn't expecting cindy hmm it's frankenstein it's frankenstein uh imdb has it as dr frankenstein or frankenstein dares to tamper with life and death by creating a human monster out of lifeless body parts there you go boom so let's talk about this movie before we get into themes and what we think that is behind the movie and all that, let's just go ahead and get what made you mad out of the way. Go ahead. What you got? In the first 15 seconds of this movie, in the opening credits, it says, well, based on or uh, adapted from the novel by Mrs. Percy B. Shelley, not Mary Shelley. Not Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Mrs. Percy B. Shelley. That's not even his name. He went by Percy, was it Biss or Bismuth or whatever that British word is. Blythe. Blythe Danner. I don't think it was Bismuth because isn't that what um, Pepto-Bismol is? Yes, it is. Well, then maybe it's Percy Blythe Danner. (laughs) But anyway, it it just, it, it poured right through me. And the more I thought about it, the more upset I got about it because... This movie was created 10 years, almost, you know, to the season, I guess, that women finally got the right to vote. So that idea of feminism was really a hot, a new hot button topic, women kind of figuring out their place. And the first, I mean, Mary Wollstonecraft, who is Mary Shelley's mother, is kind of the feminist, like the the woman that everyone says that kind of started everything many, many years ago. So... We found, I did a little research and found out the reason that they copyrighted it that way was because they wanted people to know that it was based on this story, but they wanted to kind of do their own thing as far as the plot and the makeup. And so that's why they didn't even have to give her credit. They just kind of did. And the fact that they thought about it, like, oh, let's give her some credit, but let's make it like this, which was a name she never went by. It was never, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> it really, 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 really made me mad. It's one of the frequently asked questions about this movie as far as IMDb goes, and nobody's answered it. There have been questions about it on Reddit that people have kind of kicked around. And the best idea that people can come up with is that that idea they were trying to copyright more like the image of Frankenstein. So it wasn't the story. It was kind of just this idea of creating man. That was my theory was it was done as a way to circumvent. It just really made me mad. Not only Mary Shelley, but like getting a copyright on their version of Frankenstein. Right. And they were like, it's different enough that, and they did actually get a copyright on 
not it, only the movie, but like it just the Jack Pierce makeup. It just really, really floored me, and it it upset me quite a bit. But besides all that, let's get into the movie. Yeah, I think it's important to note that, and I can't say this with absolute certainty because I was not on the set of Frankenstein, but I feel like James Whale had no say in that. Oh, like, I'm sure. I mean, that that's... It's like that was a studio head That's decision. a studio executive director. That was probably... Executive producer, I mean, sort of a thing. That was a Carl Lemley decision. For sure. So, I mean, who knows? It doesn't really matter who's to blame. And it's so random that over... That almost, you know, on 90 to 100 years later, it still boils me up. So, it's whatever. It's whatever. Yep. Let's talk about the movie. So, this movie... The whole purpose of this movie, it's the modern Prometheus, or what was it, modern Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a man thinking that he's as good as a god, right? And, you know, we go back to the hubris of men, which I believe we talked about at the opening of this movie as well. Yeah, I found a couple different theories that kind of go into what people think this movie's about. Obviously, there's the idea of playing god. Because it's the concept that it's not reanimating someone who was once alive. It's creating, like creating a new soul, creating a new spirit. Yeah, something that's never been right. alive before. Because he talks about how he reanimated things in the past, but this was a person made out of many different people that or had never been a person. An entirely new creation! Yeah. Um, As he screams. Well, he does scream. <laughs> Quite and a bit. I think it's really important to note. This was actually one of the things that got the movie in trouble and got it censored. Was what? How far we've come. <laughs> so whenever Frankenstein's monster first moves and he starts his Colin Clive starts screaming like a madman. Yes. Giving a amazingly overdramatic performance. Yes, it was it. wonderful. Um, so he says, now I know what it's like to be God. Correct. And they had to censor B. Into. And so if originally... When the film went out in 1931, they put a lightning crackle or a thunder crackle over that. All right. So it broke the sentence up and you couldn't quite hear him say that. Okay. And then way later, like the 80s, when this movie was restored. <laughs> oh, okay. They, so we're going. They put it back in, but you could still kind of hear the thunder over the yes. line. Um, and that would, was yes. added in in post because it apparently really upset people that... A scientist on a movie was screaming, now I know what it's like to be God. He hmm. compared himself to God. And in 1931, we weren't having that. We weren't having it. Uh, and certain elements of this country now would still like to like drag that. us back to that. They sure would. And yet like, they don't understand. How dare you? Yeah. And yet they call uh, Muslims extremists because they don't allow a depiction of uh, Muhammad. Yeah, it's uh, it's something else. Yeah, so that's one way of looking at this movie. And I think it's interesting that in 1931, this movie was a massive hit. And it really starts uh, a trend in horror movies that I understand why it's there, but it really upsets me. What? Which is, and it kind of lasted all the way to the 50s in horror, the idea of it's science against normal people. Like, science is this, like, thing that hoity-toity rich people have. And they use it to, like, create a monster or something that, like, hurts the populace. Okay. And I see not, where you're going. Yeah, it's not really until the 1950s with this whole... And even then, in the 1950s, 
it, it takes on a different thing of like there's science it makes radiation and radiation makes giant ants or giant spiders or giant caterpillar or whatever yeah and those hurt normal people and our heroes in these movies are always like normal people or, or people cops. that are trying to stop the scientists because science has yeah. gone mad or the military or it's it's never like especially in these early horror movies it's never like the scientist doing good it's always like yeah, he goes askew, and then the scientist may redeem himself. Why do you think that is? I think it's because um, they knew their audience, and they knew that <laughs> they knew what was the sell. majority of the country were were anti-science high school, right? Oh. So they viewed all this stuff as like foreign the, and crazy, and, and all, honestly, for parts of the country, still probably I'm sure they didn't call it, it magic, but they still yeah. a lot like magic. Yeah, but, it's still. Yeah, that's... Oh, gosh. Yes, you're right. And we're still kind of flipping that. Like, we really are. We Horror movies, for a very long time, vilified science. And you could still kind of find that in a lot of movies. It's very clear in well, in, in a movie like this, for sure. Right. Super easy to see that. It's, it piggybacks off the discussion we had a couple weeks ago where it's like, why does every... With altered states, like every scientist who's also super smart has to be a dick. Yes. Right. You can't have like a super smart character and who's I, a scientist and who is, is also a good family member. Well, I argued, you know, traditionally on some of the characters. I mean, or... but still, like, not every scientist who ever created anything and was a genius was like a yeah, wife but those... beater or a hateful piece of shit. Like, but that's a stereotype that gets pushed in these movies, right? Fair. It's like science. Science is bad. Science. And ma- you know, it's. Okay, it, that it's like it's a power for sure, and that yeah, you know, it, it does the it follows the rule, you know, ultimate power corrupts absolutely and, or and whatever. I th- and I think the idea of science playing the part of this outside force that creates this evil that the townspeople have no control over, right? And then it comes in and destroys the townspeople's lives would really yeah, have touched a base with people in, like, say, the Midwest in Oklahoma who. Their lives were destroyed, like a few, like two years before this, in the Great Depression, right? By forces far beyond them, right? Right, and they had no power and no control over that. Suddenly, it's like they woke up and all their money was gone. The yeah. world was changed, and it was changed by people that lived in New York. It's true. So I think this, and that's why this movie was such a fucking mega hit, mega mega. I think that's has to, a big part of it. Now I've. Found some other like theories behind. What does the rest movie? of the world have to say? So I really subscribe to that one. I found another one where someone was arguing. And I really like the idea. They said it's an allegory of our responsibility to children, outsiders, and those who don't fall into conventional uh, ideals of beauty. Yeah. Right. Like I've always um, we watched we watched this with my mother, who had seen it you know obviously not in theaters but she had seen it and she may have seen it like a re- they re- well them in the 50s yeah but she definitely has seen this many times on different tv shows mm-hmm. and whatnot and there were elements that still kind of scared her still but she always has said that she's always really sympathized with the monster it wasn't like the monster wasn't who she was scared of it was like you said the, the the science run amok the mad scientist the idea mm-hmm. that was the scary part not that poor monster he didn't understand and i i've i've always agreed with her on that yeah and to go along with that theory the monster is different and he looks different and he can't talk 
so he's ostracized. Yeah. And he's a monster. And because he's like... And he's never touched. Yeah. He's never touched. He's something that we don't know what to do with him. You don't want to put him down because it's a life. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to help it because oh and what does that stand for that that you can sub in a lot in there oh are you ready for this next theory oh. that feeds a perfectly off you just teed it up perfectly. all right here we go so there's another theory that this movie is a postpartum film and that the whole movie is about a monster or a child that's been abandoned by his father or creator and then right. later by society, which recoils and abandons him and burns him alive for being different. Aww. And they said that that has a similar tract to Mary Shelley's life because she lost her mom 11 days after she was born. Yep. And she had wrote Frankenstein on the heels of burying a child, like a baby. Well, yeah. And when she actually wrote the book, she wrote it while she was taking care um, of her pregnant Mm sister-in-law so her sister-in-law was carrying a baby and in bed and she was writing this in between like helping her well you definitely you definitely kind of have a always these weird philosophical thoughts while you're pregnant of like you know oh my my body i'm not in charge anymore it's a feeling that can't really be described and so it's this idea of like oh i'm just a machine creating something right now this is weird so it would definitely i think play on her mind and this idea of what is life? Is it what's the created? Is it the spirit? And like what? And so definitely I can see how that would easily be something that she would say she, that Mary Shelley herself would mm-hmm. attribute. It's also kind of, even if she wasn't pregnant at the time and lost her mother, even if all those factors weren't put in at the time, that's what a woman was trained to do mm-hmm. was to have a baby and to assist in babies and to know about babies. So that was, that would fit right in there. But here's, the final theory and one that I really enjoy and I think it's it's one that fits better with the next movie we're going to watch. All right. But there is a theory to this movie and I do really enjoy this, which is this is one of the first gay films. All right. And the fact that yes, it is about a monster, but he's born from the relationship between two men. Okay. Interesting. He doesn't have a mother. He has two fathers in a way. I guess. That's a bit of a stretch. I so, don't see that one. Well, but I, I, it's definitely more in Bride of Frankenstein, which is what we're going to be watching next. Spoiler alert. Spoilers. That make, Okay, that makes sense, but though. But that's why I'm putting the buck in your ear now. Because I think that's what brought James Whale to this project, was the fact that it was an outsider, and it was two men who created a child together... And they created a child together at the expense of his relationship with the woman. Okay, so that's in the next movie. No, this that's, that's in this one, right? He, I guess, he, he sacrifices everything. Yeah, to spend time with this guy in a castle thing up in the mountains, making a man, right? Which gets beautifully parodied in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hmm. Right? Oh yeah, where they're making. You know, making a man. Yeah, with strong arms. And hmm. He's good for relieving my <laughs> Interesting. So, but I think that's, and it's not like a huge element of the first Frankenstein, but the second movie where Frankenstein was such a big hit 
And it took them four years, I think it was, four years Whoa. to make the sequel. Typically, they crank those out pretty yeah. fast. And then they finally got James Well to come back by basically giving him carte blanche. And he, the story he created... Is something else. Um, isn't anchored to the book. Well, that's be- fair. Because the book is done, right? Yeah. They've, they've covered that... That's, that's what I mean. So okay. he, he kind of latches onto that. Well, let's save that for next week. I, I, yeah, but the thing is, I'm like, I'm getting you geared up because I want you to be thinking about that. As okay. Move on. But yeah, I think these are all pretty solid theories. I, I do think that it really, at face value, is about playing God. And yes. Science run amok, which sadly is, science is awesome. Yeah. We're like, there. <laughs> science is the reason that I'm not going to die from COVID. Yay. Right? Or like... That people or tuberculosis or yeah. polio or yeah measles bumps rubella totally agree i would watch this again this is a classic horror movie super fun thought it was a good time this is not a movie that i think kids can sit through just because it's the pacing is so slow and so off but this is a great i i feel like old timey you know yeah I classic like movie most kids are going to be like no but this movie would click with certain kids maybe right like this is definitely, I don't know if you knew this or not, you probably, just by watching it. All right. This is a Guillermo del Toro favorite. Fair. <laughs> like, that makes sense. This movie informed so much of who he is as a person and a filmmaker. And I think it's interesting that, like, Frankenstein kind of is, it's pre-horror. Like, the term horror for movies didn't exist till after this. Right. So they were like, a ghost of a thriller? Like... Like this and they Dracula, to they were like, we don't really know what to call them. And Interesting. The term horror came out a couple years later. So that's That would describe that. But let me throw out some trivia to you to kind of... I'm sure there's a ton. Uh, it's there, a, this is a classic. There is. So going back to the monster in this film actually does not physically resemble the character in Mary Shelley's no, not novel. not at all. So it was makeup artist Jack Pierce who came up with innovations like the flat head, the bolts to the neck, the droopy eyelids, the poorly fitted suit... All future Frankenstein film that feature any of these physical abnormalities is pulling from this movie. Okay. Which is most movies. Yeah, right? the only one that kind of came close to Mary Shelley's was the Robert De Niro one. Mm-hmm. It was just like a patchwork quilt face. <laughs> um, I think they did that, if I'm not, if I remember correctly, for the like the Hammer Horror one. Oh, it was all right. Closer to that. So the popular image of Frankenstein's monster um, is green skinned. Came from this film. So, again, it's Jack Pierce's makeup. He applied a grayish-green grease paint for the skin that appeared as a deathly pale gray tone yeah. on black and white film. Looked kind of glowy. Yeah. But in pictures, it's green. Yeah, always green. The black head, the black hair. Yep. Yeah. And now we're going to talk for a second about how Boris Karloff is one of the most adorable human beings that's ever lived. All right. And just a mensch and a gentleman, and I love him. So while he was preparing to film the scene where he attacks Elizabeth, the, the actress May Clark told him that she was afraid. She was worried that when she saw him in full makeup coming towards her, she would actually be scared to death. Oh. And he was like, I will... He figured out that one of his hands wouldn't be visible. So he told her, like, as I'm walking towards you, I will keep wiggling my pinky finger at you. So you know that underneath all this makeup, it's Boris still is just waving at you. So you know that I'm in here and you're safe. That's a very fun <laughs> thing to do. Back in a time when if kids were bad, they had to go sit on a nice well, block. That wasn't the kid. That was the actress. Oh, the that actress. The oh, that was the little girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But about her. Okay. So the little girl. 
So her name was Marilyn Harrison. She played Maria. That She gets thrown in the lake. They were really scared that when she saw him, she would be terrified right. of Karloff and all of his makeup. For right? sure. Uh, so they, she did meet him prior. They showed up to get in the cars to go up to that lake to shoot that scene. And she got out of the car to meet up with him and ran right up to Karloff in monster makeup. Baller. Yeah. Hugged him, grabbed his hand and said, can I ride with you? And he was like, of course. Nice. And they rode and talked the entire way because he's like an amazingly good dude who's really good with children. That's super cute. Yeah. I love that story. Don't hear many of those. So Ken Strickfadden created all the electrical gadgets and effects for the movie. You're going to love this fact so fucking much. He also doubled for Karloff during the sequences that showed the million volt sparks playing over his head because Karloff was like, no, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, yeah. (laughs) All of this electric lab equipment has appeared in other movies over the years and he owned it. So from the Bride of Frankenstein, Undersea Kingdom, Blake of Scotland, uh, it was a few of those movies when all the lab gadgets were no longer used for the movies, he put them in storage in his garage. Okay. Now, this is why this is important. They're at his house in his garage in boxes, all working electrical equipment. Uh Uh-oh. When Mel Brooks found out that the lab equipment still existed, the same machines were used for young Frankenstein. Really? And he gave Strick Fadden the on-screen credit he had not received in any of the other films. A, that's amazing. So it's also, the, still the same. It's wow. All the, all the same equipment from Frankenstein was in Young, um, in young Frankenstein. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. What a get. Yeah. What a get. That's amazing. And that's, I'm really glad to hear that Mel Brooks did the right thing and was like, yeah, I'll give you the credit. Like, you deserved that. You should have had it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um it's a lot of people have said, like biographers and like film critics have said that Lugosi was actually right to. Rumor was that he turned it down. I don't think he was actually offered it, but the rumor was that Lugosi turned it down. And a lot of people say that was a smart move. Why is that? Because the original script that Lugosi got, the monster was just a grunting killing machine and did not have any of the heart and soul. That had to come, did that come later yeah. or was so that brought out The original out by... director was actually Robert Flory and he actually, I think he did like a lot of their pre-production and the first like day or two of shooting. Oh. And then he got replaced <laughs> by James Whale, right? And then and he was kicked out. When they brought in James Whale, he completely helped rewrite the script and overhauled it, um, turning the monster into a caring, sensitive and lost soul. Which I think gives credence to the idea of, like, the outsider. Yeah. And, and him being attracted to the idea of, like, you know, get... it's this child that's not natural. Yeah. And because, like we talked about, he was an openly gay man at a time in when a time that, when was, that not was not allowed. Yeah. Thing. That sounds, yeah. That would check out, I would say. Yeah. Um, the boots that Karloff wore were hot asphalt boots they were used by men to work on hot asphalt roads and they were hot as fuck i think they were 13 pounds a piece wow they were pretty huge yeah they uh, uh they look like they had a platform to them and man well that would make sense that they were meant to be you know hot asphalt yeah and karloff his makeup took four hours each day for jack pierce to apply and his costume weighed 48 pounds and he had to wear it in the summer heat Oh, and we talked about it in the beginning that he 
Did, didn't he miss the opening? Did he miss yeah, the premiere? He broke his back. Oh, man. And if you look at his not face, worth it. there's a part of his face in the original film that's not in the sequel. But whereas his like up here and his cheek caves in. Okay. And yeah, people yeah. were always like, how did Jack Pierce do that? That's such an incredible makeup thing. Is that just how it, what his face looks like? No, it's because Karloff had a bridge and he just took it out. <laughs> and his face sunk in. Sunk right in. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That would that would work. Yeah. <laughs> clever. Very clever. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's this movie in a nutshell. I it I don't think you can understate how important this movie is. Yeah. It's a part it's ingrained in our culture in such a way that I mean, like we talked about at the opening, everything from, you know, uh Frankenberry cereal. Right to, <laughs> I mean, everything—the commercialization of Halloween—it's all about Dracula, the Mummy, and Frankenstein. Like that—that's it. <laughs> and the monsters, and I mean all of it. So next week, you said we are doing Bride of Frankenstein. We are. I'm really excited. I I really I think this movie Frankenstein hits double points because it's about a horror father. And Colin Clive's Frankenstein. And it's also, mm-hmm. it's the father of like so many movies that came after it. Yeah, that w- that's for sure. All right. Well, then, uh, I think that's going to wrap us up for the night. How exciting. Join us next week. Uh, and uh, yeah, mind the doors. <laughs>